you get this concept, right, of genos being elevated. Race becomes genes. And this is where we get the idea of eugenics. And this is where we get the idea that some races are better than others. And it is deeply embedded in all of Enlightenment history to know the world this way. The critical race theorists call this the colonial mindset, the white mindset. Hello and welcome to... What? Wait, why are we talking about rabbits? <laughs> rabbits? I don't know, they're, they're the things that jump around the internet, reproduce real quickly, go down holes, and then everyone's like, hey, what was that? Oh, this is crazy. I'm lost. You know, you know. What's Alice in Wonderland? Yeah, well, that's not this show, because we're not talking about rabbits. We're talking about history and philosophy and, uh, I don't know, years of deeply immersive experiences and first things where you learn, like, wait a minute, the way I thought I thought was not the thought that I should have been having. Because it's weird. Everything is upside down in this foreign culture that we call old world on this show. So we share our experiences. And I toss in a bunch of like academic stuff. And maybe it's good. Heavy things lightly. That's what we do. On Watar. Why are we talking about rabbits? Today. Whoopee. And that whole race crash up thing. What the hell was she talking about? So. Holocaust wasn't about race. First thing that was said by Whoopi that caused a few, I don't know, eyebrows to be raced. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Whoopi Goldberg has a show. The show is called The View. I do not watch The View. Seems like a nice thing. I don't know. I don't, I don't watch it. I was alerted to it through the vagaries of the internet and the interweb world. And then I heard Whoopi say, the Holocaust was not about race. Then the other lady on the show says, but it is about white supremacy. And then Whoopi's confused by that and says, no, wait, these are two white groups of people. I don't know what happened after that, but the thing, to, it, it's evolved, right? And then she got in trouble. She had to issue the classic mea culpa, you know, burn the incense at the altar think she still has her job but i think something weird was happening there i think as we'll see is whoopi's not crazy okay but why is it so confusing for us that's what we take a look at today so i think the key idea is is i need you to picture a triangle and all throughout human history, the triangle we're going to call race. And I want you to think of the triangle as having three parts or pieces, right? And the three pieces are, you know, the base, the middle, and the top. And so at any time in human history, there's a triangle, and the triangle is called race. And people are using the word. Trust me. I can't stand this during the... They didn't use the word race. Yeah, they did. They actually used the word race. It was for the Greeks, as we'll see today, it was genos. But what they mean is pretty clearly, it's a multi-layered definition that always, and I, can, I think we can argue this well, it, the race is always one part theos, one part ethnos, one part genos. Well, or you could argue, sometimes it's five parts theos, one part ethnos, two parts genos, or sometimes it's 
25 parts eth uh, ethnos and no parts genos. But there's always these three things in play whenever one talks about race in history. Always. Always. It's like a three-tiered triangle hierarchy, hierarchy, and all three ideas are in play at any given time within any given historical moment. Does this make any sense? But some cultures, some people, some moments elevate some of these ideas higher than others, but they're always in play, all of them. So today we try to untangle the old world and see if it can help us enlighten the new world, and especially what the hell is Whoopi talking about? So let's just start with some, I don't know, classical Roman Greek culture stuff and how they were defining race. Okay? So there's this thing called the Hippocratic Schools. This is going back 2,100 years ago. The Hippocratic Corpus is just all the writings that medical doctors did, of which one of the doctors was Hippocrates, right? That's the Hippocratic Oath. So there's all this writing by these medical people, and these medical people come up with lots of lots of determinations about race. And you can go check our pod notes. There's a really cool book on this, The Anthology of Classical Views on Race. That's what I'm using. So one doctor from this corpus, right, he starts to tell us, and I'm going to tell you what he says in a second, about the Scythian race, the actual phrase he uses. So this is 350 BC, this particular document. It's not sure that it's, it's not clear that it's Hippocrates himself, but it's somebody writing in this tradition. He's talking about the Scythians. And what he says is nuts. But I'm, if you're a Scythian, I want to apologize. All you Scythians out there, I'm really sorry, but I do want to quote about what the Greeks thought of you. Um, a Scythian is basically is a swath of nomadic people running from Ukraine, modern-day Ukraine, all the way across the Mongolia. I, here's your Scythian race Greek moment. You ready? Uh, the Scythian women are fat and lazy, and their bellies are cold and soft. Thus, the Scythian race is infertile, says the Greek doctor about the Scythian race. You want proof? He quotes, the slave girls, they have strong and fit bodies. And the moment they've had sex with a man, the slave girls, well, they get pregnant. What? Wait, this is a, this is, are they following the science here? Because <laughs> it's, what? So this doctor is, this Greek doctor from 350 BC is using Scythian slaves to show you the differences between one group of people and another. Now, I don't, if you think the Scythian slaves are black, then that's not correct. Okay, that's not what's being said here. He's just trying to point out a difference between the Scythians and their slaves. He goes on. Scythian children are a marvel of flab and fat. Sorry, Scythians. Also, the Scythian race is red-headed and red-faced. Though, not because of the sun's fierce heat, no. The cold burns their faces and turns them red. Such a nature as this, well, it does not encourage fertility. Now, when you hear nature there, it's really fascinating. Nature. 
they mean two things at once, the nature around them and the nature of their person. This is old world. There are many layers, many meanings to the same thing. So such a nature does not encourage fertility. <laughs> because men, Scythian men, are not at all eager for intercourse, given their bloated stomachs and extremely soft and cold lower bellies. Ugh, those Scythians. Furthermore, constant bouncing on horseback has rendered Scythian men unfit for sex. This is why Scythians are infertile. Whoa, chill out. Hey, Hippocrates, take it easy, dude. You're so racist. Sorry, Scythians, but this is just the science. You know what I'm saying? So what's happening here? Well, here we have an example of Greeks elevating nature like Mother Nature to a type of deterministic like qualifier. Like You are going to be this way because of your climate. And climate is ethnos. It's culture. Theos, ethnos, and genos are always at play. And here you see the Greeks elevating ethnos, the environment. Check out Herodotus. He's saying this a little earlier even than the document we just heard. He's a biologist of the Greco-Woman world, probably the biologist. Here's what he says. Climate, then, is the greatest factor in diversity among people. Where the land is rich, soft, and well-watered, and the waters are near the surface? Well, there where the climates are nice, the men are flabby and jointless, bloated, lazy, and mostly cowards. What? Cowards. They have a lack of eagerness. But where the land is barren and dry, harsh and harried by storms, in the winter or scorched by the sun in summers, there one finds a race of sharp, intelligent men. Wait, where the land is hot? That's right. He's actually talking about Africans there, Ethiopians. This is wild. These Greeks. How are we to understand this stuff? Well, we got to keep going. But before we do, Andrew, Andrew, how are you? Andrew's our producer in Russia. He's white, though. The very white dude. Andrew, Andrew's white. And he's nice. And in a minute, we'll also see that he's powerful. Andrew, we roll the music so I can read you this fine ad from one of our sponsors see grown that's right florida's finest wholesale nursery combining modern plant technology and old school nursery experience welcome to seagrown.com container grown is the trend-setting wholesale nursery approach designed and created by florida plant experts and done so with an eye for beauty Seagrown of Naples, Florida is a dynamic nursery and has become the go-to plant material portal for high-end landscape designers, architects, building contractors, and all of those, all of you out there who want to make a beautiful project even more beautiful. So, join Seagrown at cgrown.com or call the shop at 239-273-9027 and beautify the beautiful. Okay. Back to whoopee and race and equality and all that stuff. What we're seeing with the Greeks is that ethnos, 
your environment, your culture is really, 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 really important. And if it's not so weird, if you think about it for a minute, like, are there mountain people? I know in our work, the people of Appalachia and the people of Guatemala are much more similar than the people of West Africa and of East Africa. Both of them low land near the ocean people. Is that because they're black? I think the Greeks are onto something. And it's something to do with the nature, the nature, right, of where people grow up. I don't think anybody would think that's weird. But is that what race is? Hmm. In the classical world, it's definitely one of the important factors, ethnos. And what happens in the classical world if you cross two races, two uh, a beach people with a sun, uh, a sun people with a mountain people? Is that okay in the ancient, ancient classical world? Yeah, it's okay. Even in Homer, in the Odyssey, you know, the great Greek tale, he says, quote, the Ethiopian, and by the way, that's a Greek word for the dark people. The Ethiopian people are semi-divine creatures who whose country is a relaxing oasis for the gods, unquote. Yeah, Homer, semi-divine creatures down there in Africa. Ancient Greek vases depict black folks as political allies, musicians, priests, soldiers, husbands, wives. If you just go across, go east from the Greeks at this, basically the same time, you got to go a little earlier, you find Moses having an Ethiopian wife. Yeah, that's right. Moses from way up north in Egypt, near the ocean, flirting it up and getting a wife from Ethiopia, way down the other end of the Nile, where it's much more, how should we say, I don't know, damp, hot, arid, of climbs of Goshen to the Sudanese climbs of Ethiopia and Black Africa. Yet they got together. Yeah. What are we seeing? Africans are sharp-minded because of the dry air, because of the harsh climates and the sun. Northerners are sluggish, and their minds are all gunned up by chilling dampness. And in this case, the Northerners are Northern Europeans, what we tend to think of as white people today. We're getting toward whoopee. So if you go and look at... Deeply, you see epistemology is at play. The way of knowing is at play. And anthropology, the way of knowing man is at play. What is a man? What is a human? The ancients were elevating ethnos over theos and over genos, but they use all three at any given time. And often you see, like in that quote from the Hippocratic corpus about Scythians, you see that they use any one of these variations, in this case, ethnos, toward their advantage. They describe themselves as better. And here's the thing. Everyone does this all the time. It's called sin. Yeah. Using a a person's essence against them in order to gain advantage over them is pretty much the perfect description of pride. It's what every Pharisee has ever done. To every publican. Pride. Philatism in the Orthodox tradition is pride. Misplaced pride. That's called sin. You may have heard of Adam and Eve. That's what they did. 
They place themselves above God. I don't think that has much to do about race. But anyway, let's keep going. So how does this fit with Whoopi and the whole Jewish thing? Well, to understand that, you need to understand that what template she's using. Really, though, what template she's trying to destroy. You see, all of us in the West have inherited inherited a certain triangular race concept uh, from our ancestors in the West, in the Enlightenment West. And that triangle of meaning, that race tripartite understanding, what was at the top for the Enlightenment deists? Genos. Genos is elevated with the Enlightenment thinkers in the 1700s. Genos gets elevated as the most important variable of the three. Ethnos and Theos taking a back seat. Blood and bones, genes, start to surpass climate and language as the essential racial marker. If you look, and we'll take a quick look, at the early race scientists, what they're doing again and again is they're trying to tell you about human beings based on their genetic qualities. Carl Linnaeus, Taxonomy of Five Races, probably the most famous scientist of the 1700s. He says, there are five races, red, yellow, black, brown. And he, it, 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 mixes, he mixes the last one up. But you see the emergence of this notion of race that we know. Okay, Jean Lamarck in 1809, all organisms operate according to the law of their inherited genes, of their acquired traits. Erasmus Darwin writing 15 years before Darwin was born. That's his grandfather. Erasmus Darwin says, In the great length of time since the earth began to exist, warm-blooded animals have arisen from one living filament. Filament there is DNA string or strand. One living gene. Herbert Spencer the philosopher used often by a lot of Darwin's buddies. He coined survival of the fittest gene. Francis Galton, cousin of Darwin, right? Coined the term eugenics. Nature versus nurture was also one of his phrases. Thomas Huxley, Darwin's bulldog, his buddy, he coined the term agnosticism and the term secularism or secular training. Why? Because he's trying to de-elevate, send down the notion of theos as a way to understand human anthros, human anthropology. Whoa. What is this, a conspiracy theory, dude? No, this is just people trying to understand people using genos as their top dog. And so you get this concept right, of genos being elevated, race becomes genes. And this is where we get the idea of eugenics. And this is where we get the idea that some races are better than others. And it is deeply embedded in all of Enlightenment history to know the world this way. The critical race theorists call this the colonial mindset, the white mindset. It's not a great way to know people but it's what we've inherited. And it's why the whole whoopee thing is a confusing mess. You see, she's saying something really, really, really true. Jews are white. I mean, <laughs> just come on. 
Andrew, we already determined you're white earlier in the show. But look, look at Bob Saget. I mean, Bob Saget, God rest his soul. He's not white. Bob Saget is Jewish. How is he not white, though? That's like the whitest person ever, except for you, Andrew. I mean, how is he not white? Seth Rogen, maker of many funny and semi-funny movies. Totally a white dude. Billy Joel. How is Billy Joel not a white guy? Yeah, Whoopi is calling Jews white. And she's saying that German Nazis, white, persecuted German Jews, white, and therefore the whole thing wasn't about race. And how is that wrong? Well, here's what I think. It's wrong because Whoopi is actually injecting something into the race conversation that has never been there in the history of human race conversations. Whoopi's trying to change the conversation by changing the hierarchy thing that I've been, the tree, the triangle that I've been telling you about. Critical race theory, which is what she's using, is trying to put at the top, not genos, not theos, not even ethnos, which have always been present in any conversation about race in human history. What Whoopi's trying to say and what she's reading about and the kind of books that are that are that are informing her critical race theory books what they're trying to say is is the real race determinant is dinamis not ethno not ethnos theos or genos dinamis the greek word for power the postmodern movement which is at the heart of the new way of seeing race crt is trying to create a new category called dinamis as a way to understand race power. Some of us have it. Some of us are it. Some of us represent it. Some of us benefit from it. And some of us don't. And if you have it, you're white. And it shapes everything about you. It tells me everything about you. Listen to Monica T. Williams. She's a PhD clinical psychologist. She runs the Canadian Research Chair for Mental Health Disparities. She's a big wig in Ottawa. Ottawa. I wonder if she's hanging out with the truckers. Something tells me no. But, well, that's a whole whiteness conversation right there. But aren't all Canadians white? Okay. Okay. Uh, let's move off of that. Uh, whiteness, she writes. Whiteness is an unfairly privileged exclusionary category based on physical features, most notably a lack of melanin, unquote. Whoa. So whiteness is about appearance. She goes on to say, whiteness is a forced group membership that originated by oppressing people of color. Aha. Uh -huh. It causes psychological and spiritual damage to white people and to non-white people. White Americans, she writes, are imbued with whiteness from infancy. They do not choose it for themselves. People who look white and who have immigrated to America are generally afforded whiteness upon arrival. What? Wait, whiteness? Can you guys see how whiteness isn't about race? Listen what happens if I swap the word whiteness for the word power. 
You ready? White Americans are imbued, imbued with power from infancy. She writes, white Americans are imbued with whiteness from infancy, but I'm going to switch out. White Americans are imbued with power from infancy. That works in this narrative. Listen to this. People who look white are generally afforded power upon arrival from other countries, whether they want it or not. These cats are trying to inject a new variable in the race triangle thingy. And it's super old world. Listen to the Greeks. Just listen to the Greeks. Listen to the classical writers. Here's Pliny the Elder from the first century AD. Right? He says, It should not be surprising then if warm air renders the minds of men more astute while the cold air slows their wits. But the warm air and the hot sun are very acute, and when it comes to the time to act bravely, warm air people fail because the courage has been sucked out of their bodies by the sun. <laughs> what? Yeah, he's saying, your environment. Now, the CRT people are saying, your melanin. But the environment is determining that you're just going to be a coward. The sun has done this to you. Well, your melanin or lack thereof has given you something or has done something to you. It's privileged you. This type of determinism is so old world. It's a type of fixed deterministic craziness in so many ways. Hearing it, for me, is like hearing the ancient Greeks try to figure out race. It feels odd. But I'm telling you, it's a really, really old world way. It's a narrative understanding. The narrative drives the meaning. So critical race theory has introduced a new narrative, a new way of knowing this hierarchy of variables. Power or dynamis is the key. No longer is ethnos or genos or theos as important as power. Where does it lie? What is it? That's now a racial idea. And what about theos? What about theos? What happens when a culture or a group of people elevate theos above ethnos and above genos when trying to define race? Right? God gets elevated above culture and genes. How does this look? Well, first of all, it depends on which god you're talking about. So many gods, Babylonian gods, many African gods, many Norse gods, they're autochthonous, autochthonous, sorry, autochthonous. It's a very difficult Greek word. It means they come from their own land, from their own gods. In other words, the god is not responsible for anything else but its own people. The Dogon people of Mali are like this. The Norse are like this. For instance, in Norse tradition, only Norsemen can live eternally in Muspel. That's the first land of mankind because the flames are too hot for all other types of people. So, autochthonous gods, well, they create species, if you really want to look at it that way. Humans are different species made by different gods. But if you look carefully, you'll see that there's a time, some 
Carl Jasper, a philosopher, calls it the Axial Age. When you see a cluster of Theos cultures begin to understand race as united, as coming from the same place, the same land, the same God. These types of people, okay, and yes, these are the Jews. In some ways, these are Hindus. They're definitely Buddhists. They're Christians and Muslims who inherited the Jewish tradition. These types of people, well, they put Theos at the top of their race triangle thingy, and in doing so, they define mankind as one race. This is a type of universal instinct. It gets played out in history. The ancients don't do this so much, but you can see, starting in the 500s, various cultures move toward this, and the Christian culture is the first one to proclaim that everybody can get in the boat because they're all made from one God. Now, good or bad, I don't know. But you see that, you see those echoes of that idea in the French Revolution, the American Revolution, the Russian Revolution, the whole idea of rights as universal. It all comes from the idea of God as one. I mean, Adam and Eve, I hate to tell you this, is everyone's mother and father in this type of narrative. In this way, genos as defining characteristic of race, as the defining characteristic, it gets demoted. Not destroyed, don't get me wrong. It gets demoted. Ethnos takes a backseat. Language and custom, backseat. Christians and Jews and Muslims still know themselves, right, to be at odds, and they often kill each other, but they still weirdly know themselves as connected by the same God. Now, this can be debated especially in Orthodox circles. What am I trying to say? This type of idea was what the world knew as race for many, 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 two thousands of years in the West. This idea gets supplanted by the Enlightenment idea that race is generally genes, and the gene idea is being supplanted even as we speak that race is fundamentally a function of power. And you're all living in it. You're living in the tri- you're living in the elbow moment. You're living in the transition right now. And that's why Whoopi said things that are true and also what was she talking about? That's why we're all confused. And you better figure out what you're going to put at the top of your triangle. Because once you figure out what's at the top of the triangle, then you can figure out how to interact and react and relate to everyone else in the world because I'm telling you, people do not agree on this. They do not agree on this. And it's fascinating to watch all around the world. So, sin. I think sin's the answer to this whole question. You either act like God or you don't. You try to act like God or you don't. And wherever you don't act like God, which is most of the time, you're missing the mark. You're a sinner. And I feel like that's what racism is. But it's just one of many. On water! (laughs) That's one sin of many, including this podcast. Forgive me if I went too long, but mostly I'm just happy to be here with y'all. Peace out. Shenny Scoggy Marjo. That means to you the victory. It's often said at the KP table in Georgia. Speaking of that, we're going to have some of those at our new restaurant in Greenville. Opening soon. Stay attentive. Go to our website. You can learn more about that there. 
Join us on a KB journey this summer. Join our classes. A lot of this comes from my class that I teach on Wednesday nights. For those of you who are recurring donors, why don't you all come and learn some of this stuff? But really, what we don't do is learn. What we do is share. And uh, we share our ideas. And come and join us. I'm Watar. Nakvam dis hasta luego, kambufo. And peace out.